This is The Rounds Table. Welcome back, Rounds Table listeners. This week we are talking about clots, those bloody clots. John, welcome back from Alberta. How are things in Alberta? You know, things are pretty good. Uh, numbers are busy in the inpatient service, but I think that's the same elsewhere. How are things in Toronto? Yeah, ditto. Uh, no bueno, but uh, maybe by the time we're recording or that this is being uh, listened to, things will be better. Anywho, uh, John, what do you have up for us today? So speaking about clots, first we're going to talk about a paper called The Safety and Efficiency of Diagnostic Strategies for Ruling Out Pulmonary Embolism in Clinically Relevant Patient Subgroups, a Systematic Review and Individual Patient Data Meta-Analysis. This was by Stahls et al. and published in the Annals of Internal Medicine, December 2021. Nice. And what was the research question? Uh, they really just wanted to evaluate the safety and efficiency of clinical decision rules to help rule out pulmonary embolism. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, we're faced with this question all the time, uh, but why was this important to you? Yeah, I mean, we think about PE a lot. Um, and, you know, I think we know that some component of D-dimer and clinical pretest probability plays an important role to help decide on next steps for investigating someone for pulmonary embolism. Um, you know, the safety and efficiency of some of these things is less well known in certain patient subgroups like those with CKD or cancer or even inpatients for that matter. Um, and so, you know, the preferred combination of like what clinical decision rule is the best and what D-dimer cutoff is the best is, is not entirely known. And the group really set out to validate three diagnostic scores, uh, the Wells rule, the revised Geneva score, and the years algorithm. And I think we might have talked about the years algorithm at one point a few episodes ago. Um, I'll admit, maybe I'm a bad internist, but I was not familiar with the revised Geneva score. Yes, you are a bad internist if you did not know about the Geneva score. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, I just used the Wells score. Um, and, and then... Uh, a oncologist told me about the Geneva score and I just sort of nod my head like, oh yeah, of course I know about that. So anyway, you're not alone. Uh, what was the study design here? Very good. I feel better already. So this is a systematic review and individual data meta-analysis. Uh, papers were included from 1995 to Jan 1, 2021, and they included prospective or cross-sectional study design that included uh, variables that were you know, available to calculate at least one of the clinical decision rules um, in patients who were clinically suspected to have pulmonary embolism. So they contacted all the authors to try to provide uh, patient-level de-identified data. And the data included a whole bunch of stuff like demographics, uh, VTE risk factors, comorbidities, D-dimer levels, and the results of diagnostic testing. One of the main outcomes was safety, which is really getting at what the failure rate was. Uh, so that was the proportion of patients with confirmed VTE at baseline or during follow-up divided by the total number of patients in whom VTE was considered excluded by the decision tool. Um, you know, traditionally, safety thresholds are, you know, accepted if it's, you know, between 2 and 3% generally. Um, for efficiency, which was another important outcome, they wanted to know the number of patients in whom PE was considered ruled out based on the decision, clinical decision tools uh, divided by all the included patients. And then there were these predefined subgroup analyses, including um, men versus women, um, based on age, uh, based on prior risk of VTE and those with active cancer. And uh, this was you know, a bunch of multi-level logistic regressions that were done. And they did have to do some imputation because, of course, there was some missing data. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So if I have this right, they did a systematic review, uh, found the articles that 
met their inclusion criteria, and then emailed the authors and tried to get the individual level data to then perform this individual patient data meta-analysis to try to identify what is the best way uh, to sort of rule in or rule out clots. And they define this as a failure rate versus the efficiency. Is that about right? Yeah, that's right. And it really, it was taking into consideration, uh, like we said off the bat, like the Wells rule, uh, the revised Geneva, um, as well as the years algorithm. And then there was also a few uh, different um, considerations for like fixed cutoffs for D-dimer, um, you know, adaptive cutoffs for D-dimer. And so there's a little bit of nuance into the specific kind of outcomes and the targets that they used. Gotcha. Okay. And uh, I guess, what did the patients look like? What did our, what did our table one look like here? There were like 3,700 studies that were achieved, a whole bunch, but ultimately 328 full texts were assessed for eligibility. And that was whittled down to 16 studies that were included. Uh, so of those included studies, it accounted for about 20,500 patients. Uh, the median age was 58. 59% were female, um, about 8% were inpatients, 14% had prior VTE, 11% had cancer, and the median D-dimer was 800. Okay, and what did they find? Yeah, so, you know, there's a lot of different um, outcomes that were reported, and so I'll, I'll try to just kind of summarize this as best we can, but essentially what they found was that failure rates were lowest for the wells and the Geneva when using a fixed D-dimer threshold, and so specifically, the failure rate was uh, 0.36% for the wells rule and 0.58% for the revised Geneva when using a fixed D-dimer cutoff of 500 micrograms per liter. Um, now, when using age-adjusted D-dimer rates, the failure rates were a bit worse. So for the Wells, it was 0.76, and for the Revised Geneva, it was 1.1%. And then for strategies like the years criteria, so years was a, is a little unique in that first you ask yourself the clinical questions, and then based on how you answer those, there could be a different D-dimer cutoff uh, to then decide on ruling out PE. And so for strategies that applied the D-dimer threshold dependent on the pretest probability, the failure rate was actually even worse, so like 1.8% for years. Um, now, when it came to the efficiency piece, which was, again, that ability to kind of rule out pulmonary embolism, Efficiency was actually highest for applying D-dimer thresholds that were dependent on the pretest probability. So the Wells rule had the highest efficiency at 47%, the Geneva 44%, and the years 41%. Um, now, you know, the subgroup analysis was meant to be an important part of this too, but some of the subgroup analyses they weren't able to do just because, you know, there weren't enough patients within it. Um, what they did show is kind of broad strokes was that the highest failure rate was for strategies that use D-dimer thresholds dependent on the pretest probability in older patients. So in patients greater than the age of 80, as well, uh, higher failure rates in patients with active cancer and those with a history of VTE. And those failure rates were between like three and 4%. Um, now, the efficiency was lowest in those that were older as well, in those over the age of 80, and in those with active cancer. Okay, gotcha. So I've never used the years criteria before. It sounds like I don't ever need to use it, so that's great. And then, you know, this idea of combining the Wells score or the Geneva score with the D-dimer makes sense to me. And, you know, like you said, listen, if we just use a simple fixed D-dimer threshold of 500 we're going to have a lower failure rate. That makes sense. We're setting the bar low. By design, you're going to miss less patients with a clot, and the trade-off is efficiency. So, yeah, this is quite interesting. I don't really 
I can't get my brain around the whole efficiency idea. That's not something I think of clinically, but the failure rate, I certainly can get my head around. But maybe that's a limitation of me rather than of the study. Um, what are some limitations that you thought of here? No, me too. I don't know. Maybe it's just the way that our, our brains are wired. But I think the failure rate seems as a more intuitive kind of consideration. So um, a few limitations. I mean, admittedly, there would have been some heterogeneity in the definitions of the items that were included for each diagnostic strategy. Um, and then the authors also mentioned uh, some concern for the possibility of misclassification. So um, failure rates may have been overestimated because patients who had died during the follow-up Sometimes they were considered to uh, have died because of PE, even though that was not necessarily confirmed on imaging or autopsy. And it seems like that's just how the clinical events committee tended to score things. So, you know, could have overestimated some of the failures. Yeah. Okay. I'll let you go first. What's the take-home point for you? I think the take-home point is that there was a, you know, a bit of variability across those diagnostic strategies. Uh, in particular, for those strategies that were incorporating adaptive D-dimer thresholds, um, you know, the D-dimer thresholds were more efficient when compared to those fixed ones. But you know, when it came to safety, the fixed thresholds, when being used with things like the Wells or the uh, Revised Geneva, um, was was better. Um, and then I guess the other concern too is just like. You know, maybe this doesn't work quite as well when you're starting to get to the higher age group and then other patients like those with cancer with prior VTE, just the, the safety profile and signal might not be the same. Yeah, fair enough. I, you know, I think for me, I'd even take it one step further in that, okay, uh, I'm going to keep it simple. You know, D-dimer 500 or 0.5, depending on your units, in addition to using well score. You know, that is what I'm going to do moving forward um, because for me, it's not about efficiency. For me, it's that like, I don't want to miss this. I don't want to miss a clot. And it's easy to do a CT chest or, or, or image somebody's legs for a DVT. So yeah, this is quite interesting. Is it practice changing for you? Uh, yeah, you know, I don't know because I, I think that at the end of the day, a lot of this still comes down to what we do clinically, which is like, what is your pretest probability from like, you know, the patient's unique presentation in front of you right now. Um, and so perhaps more in like those where I'm, I'm just less sure from a clinical suspicion perspective, I'll kind of lean on some of these tools. But, you know, I think that if your index of suspicion is high enough, then I'm not going to bother wasting my time doing a D-dimer because I think I need to make sure I'm not missing this diagnosis in those patients that are, you know, critically unwell on my inpatient sick service. Yeah. I mean, that I 100% agree with. I think, you know, if your pretest probability is high enough, ignore D-dimer, you know, send them for a scan. I just really think the more I think about this study in those low pretest probability patients and low pretest probability based on their well score, which is what I use the most, and then this D-dimer 500 full stop, I, I quite like that. And I, I think it's going to be actionable for me. It's too hard to remember, oh, age adjusted cutoffs and yada, yada, yada. No, no, no. That's information overload. So yeah, I'm, uh, I am a big fan of this study the more I think about it. Yeah, I think it could certainly help. Uh, it could certainly help spare patients from, uh, you know, an unnecessary CT scan in the right clinical scenario. Cool. All right. Well, I'm staying on the theme of clots um, by a lot of similar authors as well. So this study was uh, also published in Annals of Internal Medicine in um, January of 2022, and it was entitled Risk for Recurrent VTE in Patients with Subsegmental PE Managed Without Anticoagulation, a Multicenter Prospective Cohort Study. So what was the research question here? Very simple. 
what is the rate of recurrent VTE in patients with subsegmental PE managed without anticoagulation? Uh, subsegmental PEs, they can be a frustrating clinical presentation. Uh, why did you think this was important? Yeah, the sort of frustration that you're alluding to is the reason why. It's always unclear to me, what do I actually do when I have a patient who is often incidentally found of a subsegmental PE? And I always have to remind myself of uh, anatomy. The further I get from medical school, the worse my anatomy skills are. So if we just remember the starting point is the pulmonary trunk, uh, and then that divides into the right main pulmonary artery and left main pulmonary artery when there's a massive clot um, that's affecting both right and left main pulmonary artery. You know, we call that a, a saddle uh, emboli. And then we dive down further. Um, there are interlobar arteries. And then further down, there are segmental branches. And then further down from that, there are subsegmental branches. So it's deep in those subsegmental branches. That's what we're talking about because we really don't know what do we do with it. Um, there are some guidelines that really suggest uh, clinical surveillance over treatment uh, in selected patients with subsegmental PE um, who don't have a lower extremity DVT, uh, though that is based on pretty crummy evidence, hence the need for this study. All right. So how did they do this study? They did it over a long period of time, okay? This is an international prospective cohort study at 18 sites from 2011 to 2021. Uh, inclusion criteria, patients with isolated subsegmental PE who presented to the ER and then got referred to the thrombosis clinic. That is a subtle but critically important point. Um, they excluded patients with active cancer, a prior VTE, those who needed oxygen, uh, people who were pregnant, or if they had another reason for anticoagulation like atrial fibrillation, or if it took many days for them to get to the thrombo clinic and in that in-between period, they got more than two days of anticoagulation, or if they were hospitalized. Uh, we, we sort of talked in painful detail what we meant by a subsegmental PE, um, so I won't go into any more details with that. Uh, and then among these individuals, they all went on to have a bilateral lower limb ultrasound, and that was repeated again one week later if the initial uh, scan was negative. Patients without DVT were, of course, not treated. Um, the outcome was recurrent VTE during the 90-day follow-up period. Okay. So, I mean, I think it's probably fair to say that overall, this is in kind of a lower risk patient population because, you know, for sure, if this was like a cancer patient or uh, other of those kind of risk factors, it might push your hand into whether you're thinking about anticoagulation or not. But uh, fair enough. Uh, what did these patients look like? What was the table one? Uh, so 750 approached, uh, just under 300 included, uh, and then 20 were excluded thereafter because they were started on anticoagulation uh, therapy for a, a DVT, uh, and six withdrew consent. Average age was 56, 53% female, 65% uh, white, and nine had a history of cancer. Um, and uh, in terms of this uh, subsegmental PE, 72% just had a single one, 28% had multiple, and 95% uh, um, had a positive D-dimer uh, going back to the last paper. Okay, so 10 hard years of work. What was the main result? Oh, no, no. That's just 10 hard years of work from start of enrollment to end of enrollment. As a researcher who, who struggles, I, I am certain 
that it probably started five years before then. And I should make it clear. I'm not saying these researchers struggle. I'm saying I struggle. Um, so, so I assume it was even longer than a decade. So, so the trial was stopped early after 292 patients were recruited just under the 300 uh, because they sort of uh, met their criteria. Uh, the primary outcome, what did they find? Uh, 3% of patients had recurrent VTE in the 90-day period, and, and less than 1% had a major bleed. I also just want to kind of remind the listener that, you know, they started with 292 individuals, and then all of them got the noted ultrasound of the legs, and that was repeated seven days later as well. And, you know, 20 some odd individuals. So, you know, I don't know, seven or 8% were found to have uh, a VTE uh, on this initial or repeat ultrasound. That That is an important finding, even though it isn't the primary outcome. Fair. Okay. What were some of the limitations here? So some limitations, I think there is an element of selection bias here. So the sort of authors indicated that this 3% uh, rate was higher than they had anticipated. But we got to be careful with that because remember, by definition, there was some selection bias because the emergency medicine doctor decided to send them to a thrombosis clinic. So maybe these individuals are actually higher risk than your average person who comes to the emergency department and a subsegmental um, PE uh, is found. So I do wonder if it could maybe be uh, an overestimate. Um, another limitation, it's a relatively small sample size, but um, it's, you know, it's hard to, to do these prospective cohort studies. So uh, no fault of the authors on that one. Okay. What was the take-home point? The take-home point is that research is a long and winding road, okay? As I always tell trainees, before you start a research project, realize that you are engaging in a long-term relationship, all right? So like, imagine if you were the first year resident and this was your project, and then 15 years later, it's published in a really freaking high-impact journal. So take-home point, be choosy, okay, about what studies you want to pursue. Um, and, and the clinical take-home point is that we really need proper VTE assessment post-subsegmental PE because repeat VTE it isn't rare. Um, that is a take-home point, I think, for me. Yeah, that, that, that number is higher than I think I was anticipating. Uh, and it, it makes me think about some of these hospitals and other centers that have like a dedicated um, thrombosis team on call, uh, where like someone's on call 24 hours a day, you just kind of pick up the phone and call them so that in real time, you're getting some uh, expert advice on some of these more challenging clinical situations. But uh, practice changing for you? Yeah, I actually think it is like um, I clearly should be referring a lot more of these patients to uh, my good friend, Eric Kaplovich, one of the thrombosis docs uh, at, at Mount Sinai, because I don't know if I've been doing as diligent of a job of, OK, you got a suspect segmental PE. We're doing an ultrasound today. We're going to repeat it a week from now. We're going to see you again after that. So I worry that maybe I've missed some VTEs and I think it's probably time for me to just be referring these patients so that they get the proper follow-up that they need. Yeah, okay. I think that's fair. All right, John. So that's enough of the technical stuff. Now it's the good stuff. Uh, what did you want to share this week? Uh, so this week, we're going to talk a little bit about Scarborough and a couple of things to do with Scarborough. So uh, this was, uh, depending on when this episode gets released, uh, there was a really great Toronto Maple Leaf hockey game. Uh, specifically, it was like the Hockey Day in Canada 
out of Scarborough. And so, of course, you know, I'm biased. You and I are born and raised in Scarborough, Ontario. Um, but Michael Bunting, one of the Toronto Maple Leafs, happened to get a hat trick in an incredible come from behind game. Well, it was also Scarborough hosting the Hockey Day in Canada. So it was just kind of a nice uh, shout out to the talent of Scarborough. Um, but along those lines, it made me remember that the Scarborough Health Network has been doing a really nice job to try to raise money um, to improve healthcare delivery in Scarborough. They take care of a ton of the population of Toronto, but they do not get the same amount of research dollars. So maybe this is just like a little gentle plug to the Scarborough Health Network Foundation um, and their fundraising drive as well. Yeah. Um, so now this makes sense because a friend of mine texted me saying like, the game's going on in Scarborough right now. But where did they actually play? I can't. Well, the game was not in Scarborough. It was just one of those things where like Ron McLean's, you know, like at the Scarborough uh, Community Center or whatever as they're recording kind of like the, the the live stuff in between the periods and the games. So Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Paul lied to me then. <laughs> um, okay, cool. So mine is nothing to do with Scarborough, but um, I've become really interested in in sort of entrepreneurship in general, and I stumbled across this uh, free, uh, not free, 35 bucks, almost free, um, uh, Entrepreneurship 101 course offered by uh, Mars just across the street from, from Sinai. And uh, it's such a fascinating uh, and enjoyable uh, course to, to sort of go through. It's a five-week course, and um, I sound like, I'm like an infomercial for, for this entrepreneurship course, but it's just really good. And I think what I've realized over the years is that I really like to learn new stuff. And this has just exposed me to all sorts of things I knew nothing about before. Uh, so that is the, that is the good stuff that I'm sharing. That's pretty great. Like 35 bucks, like Mars is uh, good on them for offering something like this. Yeah, I, I totally agree for sure. So uh, the link will be in the show notes if anyone else uh, is interested. All right, John, stay safe and stay warm in Calgary. And we'll talk again soon. Talk to you soon, Mike. The Rounds Table is hosted online at healthydebate.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Rounds Table. Special thanks to our audio editor, Emilio Garcia Flores. Also thanks to founder of The Rounds Table, Amol Verma, and Kieran Quinn, the previous director. We'd also like to give a big thanks to Seema Marwaha, the editor-in-chief at Healthy Debate, for all of the support.